I'm Daniel. And I'm Robert. And this this is Grizzly Kiki. Kiki. Today's episode is brought to you by Warby Parker, an eye care brand that offers chic and modern eyewear at a revolutionary price. Simply put, your glasses shouldn't cost as much as a meet and greet with James Charles. Warby Parker's prescription glasses start at $95 and they offer great customer service. I should know. And they do sunglasses too. Buying glasses should be easy and risk-free, girl. Warby Parker's home try-on program lets you fall in love with your glasses in the comfort of your own home. Who doesn't love that? (laughs) Choose up to five frames from hundreds of stylish options and have them shipped directly to you for free. That way you can try on all the frames and pick your favorite. And for every pair of glasses sold, Warby Parker distributes a pair of glasses to someone in need. We don't need people seeing things blurry. And Daniel wears Warby Parker, and now he can actually see me. And I'm now considering a divorce. Hey! To get started, head over to WarbyPorkerTrial.com slash Kiki. Wait, wait, wait. Warby Porker? That's a very different website. I was projecting. Very different. I mean, I project in all directions. Give them them that link one more time. Oh, sorry. To get started, head over to WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Kiki. Again, that's WarbyParkerTrial.com slash Kiki. Warby Parker. Modern eyewear made simple. Don't Google Warby Porker. You'll regret it. You sounded very um, unsure of yourself during that. During the the announcement. Yeah, the introduction. The introduction. Mm -hmm. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) <gasps> like you're talking you're not just talking to me you realize that to, right uh, to everybody else no i'm doing okay um yeah i mean i don't know i i've, I've been in a kind of a state of an, of an anxiety and panic all day but oh yeah anything you you'd like to share no with the class no no okay. it's just it's just generally it happens sometimes i think i need my meds recalibrated or something oh um that actually sounds like a good idea yeah oh yeah, yeah i think i just need more I mean, can we talk? Can we talk about that at all? Or yeah, I don't care. Oh, I mean, we're, we're uh, is like... that something? So your meds were prescribed by your therapist, yes? Or well, okay. So I've talked about it a lot, but I've never given a full list. Yes. <laughs> well, you don't have to give a so, list. Well, no, but um, the 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 cocktail of medicines that I take um, to essentially keep me on on an e- keep me on an even keel on a daily basis this is your anxiety this is for anxiety it's anxiety depression um binge eating disorder which i don't think i've talked about before but maybe i have you've mentioned it briefly. i've mentioned it but um bed as it's known is um kind of a, a a reaction to emotional stress and depression where you i mean like literally are eating your feelings well you can't literally eat your feelings but you know um you can try so I went, you know, over the course of six months, a few years ago, I gained about 60 to 75 pounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was the result of being very stressed and depressed and coming home and saying, I'm going to, hey, let's order, you know, let's order pizza. Mm-hmm. And I'd look at Robert and say, so what do you want? <laughs> and I meant it because I would eat an entire 
pizza and in one sitting. Lucky for me, I'm usually good with like a slice to a slice and a half. Yeah. So, um, but I was still, what are you having? <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. I, I take a medication for that, which is an ADHD, an ADHD medicine, which helps to kind of help you refocus and um, curbs your appetite and also um, increases your uh, metabolism so that you're kind of focused on more act, like activity-based things than than necessarily like eating right right so yeah can i ask have you ever because i was on that medication for a while and i felt like it made me feel weird mm-hmm. so i stopped taking it mm-hmm. um have you noticed have you had have you ever gone without it and have you felt a difference oh absolutely it's okay. awful okay it is i mean it's it's uh it's an amphetamine so right and amphetamines typically have a a of shelf life i guess i don't know what you call it in your body but like it's it they release over the course of 24 hours right and by you know i take it in the morning by the next morning there's none in my system unlike the antidepressants i take which build up over oh. time so i can probably go without my antidepressant for a day and not feel any symptoms but if i go without uh vivance is what i take mm-hmm. If by noon I haven't taken my medicine, I feel like I've been hit over the head, like with a ton of bricks, because my body is using this medication to um, to help you focus, to help me focus. But yeah. also, it helps combat the kind of um, like the zombie-like effects that anti-anxiety and anti-depression medicines can can cause oh i didn't know that yeah so i mean that's a that was that was a pleasant side effect because i've Mm. I've got you know run the gamut in terms of anti-depression and anti-anxiety pills um and yeah i think that just i i need a little bit of recalibration maybe an increase in dosage here and there um to manage my kind of daily stress overall but that's but that's something that my therapist and my doctor my my general practitioner discussed years ago and right. then from there we you know kind of play around so with, I, with the medication i guess my question was more how do you think like how what would be the process now of recalibrating because i feel oh, like sorry people that, who yeah. take anxiety or, or people who take medication for depression mm-hmm. and anxiety i feel like we, they never really talk about this like mm-hmm. we're having to recalibrate well i mean I I can do it sometimes on my own because there are certain there's like one or two of my medicines that I can take up to three a day. So if I'm having oh. a, a very stressful moment or I feel like I'm on the verge of a of a panic or slash anxiety attack, which I'm prone to, I will take one later in the day mm-hmm. and then you know I can take up to three of that one. So it when that doesn't work. Right. If, you know, over a week or so, I then start to kind of take an inventory of like what I'm feeling when I'm feeling it, the conditions under which it's happening so that I can then go to the doctor and say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. This is the way I've been, you know, using this one or two pills a little more here, a little more there to to deal with anxiety or depression. Right. But I'm still feeling these feelings and or you know, also kind of physical manifestations of it uh, in a stronger way. So and your general practitioner can yeah, do I, it. Yeah, I would go to my general right. practitioner, okay. yeah. So, oh. I think um, you should try that. Oh, yeah. No, and I am. It's something I was thinking about today, actually. Um, 
But yeah, that's that's like, how I go about it. Don't think about it. Send them an email. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah. That's I'm what the, the this portal. Is your, this is your husband speaking, I not know. the co-host. Of the that's what the portal is for. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how I do it, though. Right. I mean, I don't know, you know, if, um, again, it is up to your doctor and or your therapist or both. Right. You know, but um, my concern was that you stopped seeing your therapist. So I was wondering if this was a decision that would have to come from your therapist, like with your therapist and your doctor. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, it would come from my doctor at this point because my therapist um, couldn't prescribe. She was she was a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. So um, again, it depends, you know, on on who who is prescribing the medicine to you. So, yeah. Yeah. But, I um I urge you to do that the yeah. same way you urge me to go to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Have you made your appointments? <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Titty for tatty. I'll make my appointments if you email. Oh my Jesus! You have until tomorrow at six p.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, deadlines! What? We need deadlines. That's Tuesday, which means I should have made my appointments by the time by the this time comes out. Exactly. Yeah. We'll see. Um, do we want to talk about this other thing real quick? Yeah. Or You're all covered in thoughts. I'm all covered in tattoos. No, I, um, so I really loved the panda tattoo that I had on my wrist. So I got it. I, I made it permanent. I put a ring on it. Um, so yeah, Friday afternoon, mm-hmm. um, I went to, uh, Liquid Skin Studio and got, norman tattooed permanently on my wrist oh, i forgot you gave him a name i did i gave him a name um and uh yeah it was a surprising it's my first tattoo mm-hmm. so i've never i've never had a tattoo before um and i was really surprised by how my body reacted to all of the trauma well how was the experience of getting the tattoo it was fine yeah it was fine i was you know i um he had me put my wrist on like a like a it like looked a padded like, stand yeah it was a padded yeah. stand it looked kind of like you, you know the horse from gym class mm-hmm. it kind of looked like that like a little one but a little one for yeah. my wrist um or for my arm <laughs> anyway um it was interesting for your wrist it was interesting because i've heard people talk about getting tattoos on their wrist um and uh for example our our, our good friend ari kiki has compared it to getting scratched by a cat um which I don't really know what that feels like, but um, sure. It's kind of, it's like if, if I'm holding Donatella, our turtle, and she just starts mm-hmm. trying to swim away from me, basically, that's kind of what it felt like. Um, so it was interesting. I was, I was more nervous than I needed to be when I sat down for him mm-hmm. to like start because he was like, you know, placing the tattoo and then doing all of this other stuff. And, and then like, he grabbed the pen and like dipped it in the ink well or whatever you call it and was like getting ready to do it. And I was like, okay, here we go. Like, I was just like, Oh, I guess we're going to start now. (laughs) That was super interesting. Cause I always thought like you just loaded, like I thought it was like a cartridge or something. Not that you basically dip it like you do, you know, like a fountain pen yeah, or something. That was very interesting. Um, It was also cool to see the different, like, the different colors because he had all of the colors there and how um how like it's not yellow it's like neon do you know what mm-hmm. i mean like it's not green it's like you know oh, well, those those are like or... glow in the dark ones oh really yeah because i was like staring at them and i'm like oh, those are like the ones that you put under like a uv light and they fluoresce oh yeah fancy yeah they looked really cool um that might be a fun tattoo to do mm-hmm. although i don't find myself under many uv lights anyway um, I have a UV light. 
So, oh, this brings me to, so what? How your body reacted. Yes. Yeah. So my body reacted funny, but even before we get there, so, uh, the ta- I, the place where I got the tattoo done was in the same neighborhood as Daniel's old job. So yes. his, I know that his old coworkers miss him dearly. And so I was like, call them, text them, do whatever you need to do. We'll go out for drinks with them mm-hmm. right after. Um, because I figured while we're up there, we might as well, we might like, as well. it's not well often go, that we get up them. to Washington Heights. Exactly. Meanwhile, <laughs> Daniel the whole time was like, you sure you don't want to go home? <laughs> yeah, like you're getting like ink put on your body and like and i, I was like know. i'm fine i'll be fine like just you know i don't know why i wasn't thinking like hey you just went through trauma and like my arm was bleeding when we mm-hmm. left so i didn't think i also sent two people pictures of it and the next day i looked at it and i was like why did i do this it looked like meat in a display case of the butcher it looked like gore Mm -hmm. is what it fucking looked like and i was like i did it and sent it to like i sent it to ari and david and i was and then i looked at the photo and i was like why did i send that gross um (laughs) nasty but i know i'll know better for next time Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so we go out for drinks and someone offered me some weed which brings me to so this would have been my keto corner, but it's not really a keto corner. It's about smoking other people's weed. It is my experience that you should not smoke other people's weed. Because whenever I smoke somebody else's weed, I end up feeling weird. And I essentially... Um, so we went to this really cute bar that uh, like specialized in serving bourbon and also mm-hmm. played vinyls, which I fucking loved. And I thought it was super cute. And I love the, the, the vibe and like... We were sitting in the back. The door was open. There was a breeze. It was like a beautiful day. And I was like, this is cute. I just got my first tattoo. This is so much fun. And then somewhere the conversation changed to like talking about the appropriateness of tattoos. And that was when the record scratched for me in terms of like being stoned, going from being stoned to just being like full on paranoid. Get me the fuck out of here. Let's go home. (laughs) I also love that when this happens to you, you are quiet quiet as a mouse and because i want no one else to know cucumber and i'm like hey are you okay and you're like yeah wait so from where you were sitting you couldn't see that i was sweating profusely well it was hot and i was sweating profusely so okay sweating profusely is not a good gauge for me because i'm always hot Mm. and sweaty so i was just like yeah it's hot and you just had uh, like a whiskey so you know I was I was dying. And I'm like, that's that's when you like poke me or text me, even though we're three feet from one another and tell me, hey, un petit crease, let's go home. <laughs> the the second that the opportunity came for me to be like, hey, I think we should go. I took it mm-hmm. just so you know, mm-hmm. because I didn't I didn't want to like because dist- I OK, so I was so high that I didn't really understand how much time had passed. And I was like, all right, I don't I don't want to ruin this moment. Let me just like try and engage in conversation. And then like, like I said, the the conversation turned to being about the appropriateness of tattoos. And it turned into like, oh, well, yours is discreet and all this other. And I was like, OK, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and then I started to get self-conscious about the fact that I had something permanent on my body. It wasn't what I needed to experience. I should have just gone home. Like I should I have never you. suggested going out for drinks mm-hmm. we should have just gone because you know if that had been me we could have been a stone's throw away from like 
my loved ones. And I would have been like, sorry, I got to go home and I have to heal. I have yeah. to be on my fainting couch. Yeah. And heal. Yeah. So I guess um, two lessons learned. The first one being um, when you get a tattoo, go home. And afterward. hydrate. And hydrate. Because I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I not only, I had, I had a whiskey and Diet Coke and then I smoked. Mm-hmm. And I had a, like the thinnest, the skinniest little glass of water after that. And it was like not mm-hmm. okay. Like cotton mouth to the max, yeah. which is where, where I was. But now you have Norman. Now I have Norman and, um, and I love him. And Norman's really cute. I take really you good You make care him dance. Him. Yes, I do. He moves and he stretches. Yeah. Um, but I definitely felt, um, oh, I was saying my two things and you interrupted me. So number one, if you're going to get a tattoo, go home when you're done. Number two, don't smoke other people's weed. Especially, we had our fucking vape pen on us mm-hmm. that day and I could have smoked my own weed and been in my usual world instead of living in somebody else's because mm-hmm. that shit was scary. Yeah. Yeah. I should also not pretend. I always do this and it's part of my the the toxic masculinity that I chase after. I was smoking with a straight guy. So I was trying to be like, yeah, yeah, bro. Like I was I was like taking a hit and then like keeping it in and then taking another hit right after and then exhaling both hits God, at so once. I'm so glad I didn't go outside for that. I'm a mess. So, uh I need you to want not to do be that real either. straight acting. I wanted to be very straight mm-hmm. acting that day. Hmm. I was also self-conscious of like the neighborhood we were in and, and mm-hmm. the, the, that, that butching up that I've talked like about on this show the show before. The most gentrified part of Washington Heights. Well, sure. But like also there were other guys like out on the street. It just, it, there were, there were a lot of, there were a lot of elements that contributed to me butching it up that day. Mm-hmm. Even though I was wearing a divine shirt and I had, you know, a tattoo of a panda on both arms basically because i have a, mm-hmm. a fake that i'm trying out that i don't really love but mm-hmm. um yeah i like there was nothing like we went to starbucks earlier that day and the guy <laughs> who took my order was wearing uh like a starbucks pride pin and i was like oh i wonder if he's gay and then like we started talking i'm like he's probably gay i wonder if he knows i'm gay and then i thought about it and i was like I'm wearing a divine shirt. He knows I'm mm-hmm. gay. Like for sure he knows I'm gay. Yeah. Anyway, that's that is my inner monologue mm-hmm. most of the time. So, yeah. But I felt the other thing I wanted to say is I felt flu-like symptoms. Um so I got my tattoo Friday evening. I felt the flu-like symptoms both Saturday and Sunday morning and I thought it was weird and I talked to David Ayon who is our friend who is all covered in tattoos. Um and he was like, yeah, that's totally normal. It's not about the length of time you spent getting tattooed. It's about the fact that your body was on high alert and like you needed to rest. So it's what I told you yeah. when I got my first nipple pierced, like it was fine, but I'd never had a piercing that was that traumatic before. Right. And I was like basically sick for a whole day mm. because my body was like, get out, get out. You mm-hmm. know, like, yeah, we got to rush. Like, you know, all the white blood cells and platelets have to go to like that nipple and like heal it you know so mm-hmm. your body is is in a state of shock basically i love the image of your white blood cells going over to your nipple and being like sana sana culito de rana mm-hmm. like- that's what they did to puerto rican <laughs> after all you know um yeah i it's just i've had so many piercings i've had so many piercings and i've never had a reaction like that mm-hmm. to a piercing so i figured that getting a tattoo wouldn't be so different yeah. And you apparently even, not. You weren't even this bad after like surgery and shit. No, Mm-mm. no. And I even tried because I remember after surgery I had spicy food and that helped me heal faster. And I don't know if it's helping me heal faster because like I don't feel 
Like, I don't feel it right now. We're like day four at this mm-hmm. point. I don't really feel it right now, which is great. But I think I feel like it's very deceptive. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yes, go ahead. I thought you were about to say something. Oh, I just remembered something. Yes. I'm very excited about that I discovered today. Oh. If you were done with your tattoo talk. I am, please. <gasps> oh, your tattoo TED talk. Um, so I discovered today that Balasinna, Wood is a real place. Oh, my God. And if you're a fan of Tu Wong Fu, you know what I'm talking about. But I was mapping a shipment to a client today in Pennsylvania. And next to the town that I was shipping to, I looked and I'm like, excuse me? Bala Kenwood is a real place. It sure is. That's it. And I screenshotted it, circled it, and sent it to Robert. Mm. I didn't know it was a real place. I did. I did not. I did. And it is I Welsh. I looked it up. Yeah. It's the name of two two towns in, in Wales mm-hmm. that they combined. Oh, so anyway, that's interesting. Trivia, but I'm just very excited about that. Historical. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, before we take our break, I just wanted to mention something. So... Um, there are currently there are eight states that are proposing some form of uh, restriction on abortion. And um, we uh, I think it goes without saying that, you know, abortion restrictions falls outside of our uh, moral, like our morals or whatever you want to call that, like our you mean system res- of restricting abortion rights. Right. What did I just say? I don't know. Yeah. Res- oh, ab- abortion restrictions falls ah. outside of our belief system. Um, so we just really quickly wanted to um, wanted to share some uh, some stuff that you can do if you like us do not support restrictions on abortions. Um, and there's actually a really great article from the Cut that um, that has some uh, some great stuff you can do. Um, there are a couple of places you can donate to, which we will link in the show notes and on our website. Um, and, uh, you can also consider becoming an abortion clinic escort because a lot of the time when, uh, like when there are these groups that are anti-abortion, they will picket mm-hmm. the, like the Planned Parenthood or any, you know, any, any abortion clinic. Um, so a lot of people will request an escort so that they're not, they're not alone when they're walking in the building. Yeah. So, um, that's actually really cool. I, should consider i'd never heard of that before i would actually love to do that because uh nothing i love more than giving a big finger to the religious people who are just using hiding behind Mm -hmm. their religion to say some dumb shit that has nothing to do with their lives and supporting somebody who wants to invoke their rights as a human being oh i will support even Mm -hmm. if the person goes in there and is like i changed my mind and be like great Mm -hmm. do you have your keys let's go back outside like i don't care whatever whatever choice you make i just want you to have like if if you're choosing whatever you're choosing Mm -hmm. i want you to be able to make it into the building yeah it's something that i i think is interesting that i saw in the midst of all of this uh these articles and things is that there, there was this kind of repeated phrase where, you know, being pro-choice is not being pro-abortion. Like, there's a big, you know, it's, it's, it is simply supporting a woman's right to choose what to do with her body. It's, right. you know, they may choose, not, this person may choose not to get an abortion. They may choose to, you know, keep the baby. They may choose to put the baby up for adoption. But they also may choose to get an abortion if that is what they want. Right. And I think that that's the, 
you know, because the word abortion has, you know, it's, it's like a, 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 I don't know, like a call to arms for all of these conservatives. It, it, pro-choice has now just become associated with only abortions. And like, that's, that's not like, yes, you know, a big part of it is allowing somebody to have the right to choose to get an abortion, but it's more just allowing a woman or women rather to have the freedom to choose what to do with their bodies when, you know, they discover or sorry, when they find out that they are pregnant. Right. So anyway, that's just something I thought was it was a very impactful statement to me. Well, taking it a step even further, what what I feel like these lawmakers don't understand is that banning abortions doesn't make them go away. It yeah. makes them less safe. Mm-hmm. So uh that's I, f- I feel like that is the most frustrating. I'm not, it's probably not the most frustrating element, but I, I just I don't understand how they don't they just don't see that. It's very convenient for them that they don't see that. So, um, yeah, I just uh, I just I feel like we needed to say something about it because mm-hmm. we don't want, you know, we obviously support Roe versus Wade. Like of and all of these laws are going against mm-hmm. the decision of that case. So, yeah. Yes. So check out our, um, check out our show notes and our website for the links for all of that. Um, and if you can call your, you know, call, call your representatives. Mm -hmm. This is, this is a big, there are eight States right now that are restricting abortion in one way or the other. And, they shouldn't be. They simply should not be because it just it is a, a, another opportunity for lawmakers or I mean, I feel it's like another opportunity for men to restrict women's bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's not what should be happening. So, um, yeah, let's all fight back and and be pro pro choice together. <laughs> um, OK, so uh, we also went to see the camp exhibit at the Met. And so that's what we're going to talk about when we come back from our break. So stick around. We'll be right back. Oh, hi, it's me, Robert. And I have a question. Do you shop on Amazon? If so, you can be a supporter of our show. Just go to grizzlykiki.com and click the Amazon button in our menu. Anytime you shop on Amazon using our link, we'll get a small commission on everything you buy. And it's free. There's no cost to you as the money comes out of Amazon's pocket, not yours. So bookmark it, use it, and every time you buy from Amazon, you'll be helping us keep the key key going. We're back. And one of the other things we did before I got my tattoo (laughs) on Friday (laughs) was um, we walked around the Met. And we went to see uh, the exhibit, the the Fashion Institute yep. exhibit uh, on camp. And um, we have some thoughts. <laughs> so um, as we talked about last week, which where we talked about the, um, the Costume Institute Gala, which, you know, celebrated the inauguration of camp notes on fashion. Um, the exhibition uh, draws its inspiration from Susan Sontag's 1964 e- um, essay entitled uh, Notes on Camp, where she defined um, the concept of camp using 58 bullet points. And she chose to use 58 bullet points. Well, not specifically 58 bullet points, but she chose to use um, a list format because she felt that camp does not lend itself to this 
you know, lengthy paragraph by paragraph discussion in a in a super structured way because then mm. you would you would not be camp. Mm. You know, so um essentially in this essay, which at this point has become, you know, a very important uh piece of writing, um, both in terms of its kind of definition of a of a sensibility because because that's what camp is it's not it's not this this terribly it, it tangible thing it has it's not really taste either yeah at the end of the day because camp is lacks taste it 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 it, it, it is it um oh damn what's the word that i'm looking for it um it, it defies taste, basically. It's somebody walking into a um, like a black tie affair wearing a green suit and thinking that they are, you know, the most important person in the room because they chose to wear a different color. Exactly. Um, when really they're just kind of standing out and all the other people in the room are naturally going to yeah. judge them because they literally stick out like a green sore thumb. Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, if they're following Oscar Wilde's instructions... They Probably, should be wearing it on Thursdays. They should be wearing it. Well, no, that's a Puerto Rican thing, which I oh, have okay. to find out about. But, okay. um, you know, if, if they're following, you know, um, Oscar Wilde's dictum is that, you know, you wear something green to give a nod to other people who might be wearing green that you're gay. Because that was, you know, something that he um, discussed quite a bit in his writings. Yeah. Um, be it a green carnation or a pocket square or, as Robert just said, you know, a green suit head to toe um so her article which we just don't have the space here and now to kind of go through because it is it's it's rather lengthy and and kind of high-minded i suggest you go out and read it um you can find it anywhere on the internet it's not you know it's terribly hard to find it's in the public domain at this point i believe um but there are there are a lot of really interesting things it it is a bit of a time capsule like you know people of color are not mentioned in it right um and you know other other things but one of the things and and this is what kind of leads into our conversation about the exhibition is that she centers camp very she 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 centers camp as being kind of the 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 playground of queer people i mean she says homosexuals but we're gonna expand that <laughs> and say queer people okay. because because now you know that like it's just those terms weren't being used in the 60s the way okay. we're using them now so anyway she centered it well Yes, she did center it the way she did for 1964 exactly. when she when she published it. I feel after having seen the exhibit that the Met did not stray too far from her like her bullet points exactly. when they put it together because, yes. you know, uh queerness was there, but it was queerness from a cis gay male perspective. Exactly. Uh, uh there was that that I noticed there was one maybe two mentions of uh people of color mm-hmm. uh specifically uh Willie Ninja mm-hmm. who is like they have a video that he a music video that he did mm-hmm. that is just playing on a loop yeah so there's that mm-hmm. um next to two uh Moschino by Jeremy Scott ensembles that were inspired by his movements right so but but that's kind of it Right. You know, in terms of people of color, I mean, there were works by people of color in the exhibit, but 
there wasn't this because if you think about it, the ballroom scene is incredible like it is it is camp to the max right you know this whole idea of like realness you know and 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 the look that you're presenting right is quite camp right but that wasn't touched upon because they're looking at at haute couture at high fashion and that wasn't you know that again wasn't the point of ballroom culture they were imitating high fashion they weren't you know like and and not not that it's acceptable for them to do that but you know it's it, it's it's a show about labels okay like literal labels on clothing okay you know so i just i feel like to use i know that i keep coming back to this one person but pepper labeja <clears throat> is to me the example of camp whenever she walked a ball she was wearing something that was so like so outlandish but expensive looking and com- incredibly creative it just like it transcended her it like it it took the personality that she wanted to share with you and it was literally like clothing mm-hmm. that she was wearing and that continued until she died because Absolutely. she walked a ball um in a wheelchair and she was wearing like this this like extravagant gold like she just she Mm -hmm. made it any however she was able to present it she did it yeah and so where was the stuff that was inspired by that or where were the designers that were working with them like that's that was the question i came away with because if you're going to take the one well probably the met's perception of the one uh ballroom person that was able to transcend to the 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 mainstream Mm -hmm that being Willie Ninja, like dig a little deeper. Yeah. There's, there's a, a great, great example, but there are many more. Yeah. Of course. And we know who they are. It's not, you know, like they're not, um, nameless people. Right. So they could have done better. And that being said, I thought the show overall did a, a very good job within the limit, within the parameters that they were, that they were working you know, like they okay. were obviously working within a certain set of parameters, whether or not, you know, obviously they excluded people and there was some erasure. But at the same time, it is the first um, Costume Institute exhibition that centers that that centers ver- like almost exclusively on queerness. Right. And that's that's very important. Yes. I think nothing like that has ever been done before. But it is a but it. But it is a centering of queerness that is dated. It is. But, you know, it's it's and I don't want to be on that side of it. But the thing is, like, it does deserve credit for doing that. And also for, you know, having writings by, you know, like Oscar Wilde and Christopher Isherwood on display and photographs of drag queens from the, you know, late 19th century who had their apartments raided and all of their drag basically confiscated by the police and recreating these photos using um uh you know dresses that that looked like they were period costumes but actually were inspired by them mm-hmm. you know by major major designers so i right. thought that that was very interesting as well in terms of the exhibit itself being camp i thought that there were a lot of um studied there are elements of studied frivolity in the presentation of the items mm-hmm. themselves. There is a room where uh, Susan Sontag's essay is being typed out on mm-hmm. like a crawl. Yep. That is too high for anyone to read it, which is fine. Mm-hmm. That's excessive right yeah. there. 
and also the room with all of like the looks. Oh yeah, the last room. The last room, you have uh, like a cube in the center that has like accessories and mm-hmm. shoes and stuff. Um, and it's all, you know, like pastels and like the, mm-hmm. the, the boxes themselves are all like pastel colors yeah. and very like, um, very like celebratory colors. Mm-hmm. And so those colors are then mimicked on the outer walls uh, that are two layers of, you know, just like mm-hmm. uh, squares with, Squares well, and rectangles and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they the were. It was like two dresses. two floors basically where um, they represented eighteen themes that they that they or that the curator Andrew Bolton um, felt was important in terms of exploring camp in fashion. Right, and so each like um, each uh, each vignette represented a different you know aspect, such as you know things that that look like something else. You know, gender with genitalia, gender without genitalia. So clothing that, you know, very clearly had breasts embroidered or a penis or muscles in, you know, in an inflatable vest, Mm -hmm. Um, a dress that looked like a bunch of cold cuts, but it was just latex that was printed, you know. So also that that exploration of of trompe l'oeil or, you know, tricking the eye Mm -hmm. in clothing is not something that I ever thought of as camp. Mm. Actually, I just thought of it as, oh, that's really interesting, mm-hmm. you know, making something look like something else. Right. Um, so I thought that that was very interesting. And, and there was, um, mm. well, you know, about the, the Susan, you know, Sontagian camp, as they called it, I, I thought was great because they picked pieces that were direct that she directly referenced, you know, like mm-hmm. Caravaggio paintings or, you know, a dress with three, three million feathers, which was represented by this Balenciaga dress that looked like it had three million feathers. Um, Art Nouveau, you know, things like that, which I thought was very clever. Mm-hmm. And I think that in in doing so, it, it the presentation was also quite camp. Right. That's what it, I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I just exactly. said. It was it yeah. was it was so extra. Yeah. And unnecessary, which is what camp is. Right. Now, I don't like that the labels that they printed on the plexi, which was very nice, you couldn't read if there was something black behind it because they were black letters. That was very frustrating. I remember them being white letters, but they also had, because they were all like rooms with pink backdrops. Mm-hmm. And so they had, they purposely would put an additional um like directly behind the writing or not directly behind but somewhere behind the writing on the wall mm-hmm. would be just like a solid pink yeah. stripe of paint in yeah in some cases so that if you were standing at the right angle it was like perfect yeah but other like but there was not enough room for you to be standing mm-hmm. at the exact angle to be able to read mm-hmm. all of the placards and stuff well and it was very hard like i mean we're kind of like jumping around but um in the beginning the the galleries were very tight and very lo- like very uh low ceilings because they oh, they called them the whispering rooms so that mm-hmm. they were kind of supposed to mimic um you know the the like bars and secret spaces that that gay men would congregate in during the 19th century where you know they had to whisper mm-hmm. and so so that was also it because if you spoke too loud then you know it would just echo everywhere right um and i i liked those a lot because they they showed you know like again like a, a balenciaga like poofy dress from the 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 50s next to you know a moschino by jeremy scott ostrich feather and and butterfly dress you know just kind of like contrasting how camp 
transcends decades, you know, right. and, and something that is seen as quite classic, like a Balenciaga or a Dior gown, is still very camp. Mm. Even though, you know, like nowadays, you know, we, we know names like Moschino, like Mugler, um, people like that who are known for, for doing these kind of eccentric, very extra looks. Mm-hmm. Th- these things, you know, even though now they're kind of part of the canon of fashion, were still very extra and extreme right? as well. So I thought that was that was very well done. See, the thing about it is couture is extra by nature. Absolutely. So it's sort of hard to look at an exhibit like this one and be like, oh, you know, how to, where did they find these things? No, mm-hmm. like that's what couture is. Exactly. And I like that they were, you know, like driving that point home that camp is is inescapable. Right. You know, and, and I thought that that was very smart. Right. Actually. Um, one of the things that hit me from the beginning was so when we walked in there was a family that was there with their daughter and there was a lot of gasping that was happening you know these like i'm assuming uh these uh these tourists from like ohio or something were there and they were like oh look at these leggings oh these leggings have like very suggestive uh leaves in the crotch area it's like okay so are you taking your child here to normalize this or are you trying to make it look like it's a freak show because that's what you're doing and that was right at the beginning that like was you right said the very it was beginning. just two pairs of vivian westwood leggings that had a, like you know acrylic plastic ivy leaves on the crotch right. now it was just because that was highlighted but if you just looked at the you know the the imitation greek or roman sculpture that they were on the genitals would just be exposed or like they did in the 18th and 19th century covered up with a sculpted you know leaf but like do you do that when you're taking your kid through the greek and roman galleries probably not because that is an accepted depiction of nudity because it has essentially you know been sanitized over the generations but when you draw attention to that that's a bad thing. Well, but there were also statues in the room that were not covered up. Mm-hmm. And those were not an issue. Because, but all of a yeah. sudden, you have these leggings that are covering the genitals, and they're covering them with leaves. All of a sudden, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Or it's like a thing. Or there were also, yeah. there were, um, there were uh, Maplethorpe uh, photographs mm-hmm. in that same room of naked men. And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. like, okay. But Maplethorpe, but like, but you, you know. brought, but you brought your child to the camp exhibit, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, what were you, what, what, what did you think was going to be here? Yeah, I just, I don't understand. Like, my parents would have never brought me to an exhibit like that as a child because they wouldn't have wanted to expose me to that. Mm-hmm. So, what exactly? What is the message you're sending that you walk into a room with these these beautiful leggings and mm-hmm. these these portraits? And the message you're sending to your daughter is, oh, yeah, everything's a little weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Literally what the mother of this child said to her when she was just like looking around all wide eyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a, le- yeah. a little weird, isn't it? It's like, yeah. So see, and, and weird is one of those things that like growing up, as I've talked about a lot on the podcast, is I was taught to embrace the, you know, weird or, mm. you know, different or, you know, but but there was never a negative connotation to the word weird Gr- when I was growing up, like the, the way I was taught to, okay you know, like it was, you know, you see, I was taught to seek out people and things that were not, you know, like every day. 
Okay. You know, and like what you see on like at that time on TV or or you know the bland basically. I, I mean, th- this this interaction that I just happened to catch was definitely a mother labeling discomfort for her child with a word that has a negative connotation. Exactly. So I saw it. I saw what happened. Oh no no no! I'm 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 just telling you're you. making it sound like you know. No, that's it might not have been what I'm else. saying. What okay. I'm telling you is, I was taught different than that. That's exactly what I just said. Okay. Like, I understand what you're saying. I don't, I don't get why people do that mm-hmm. because I was taught differently. So I don't understand that. Like, if you're going to go see an exhibit that is about camp or whatever it is, yeah. right? Can't you just go through the show? And this brings us to the other point mm-hmm. is can't you just go through the show, leave all of your preconceived notions behind, mm-hmm. read what's on the wall, Use your eyes, absorb it, go home and think about it. Yeah. And then, you know, perform your critical analysis. Right. But people don't want to do that right. because they're too busy experiencing a beautiful, well-curated, expensively put together exhibition through their phones. Right. I did not see a single person who did not have their iPhone essentially almost like they were taking video of their whole experience yep. and not actually looking at the exhibition. Right. And it really irked me. Which in many cases, so there's an entire, just so everyone knows, there's an entire catalog that you can purchase on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Mr. Marquez on Twitter who uh, who ordered his recently. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an entire catalog that you can order that has the photographs in it. And guess what? If you can't afford the catalog, the images of every piece exist, I think, on the Met's website. The, I'm not for sure. For the most part. Not not all of them. But But there was a photo shoot that was that took place so that they could mm-hmm. create this catalog. And it is so a... these images exist somewhere. You do not need to take pictures of it with your shitty yeah. cell phone it and is... have that be the entire experience of you walking past and, and in a lot of instances, there was no glass between you and the dress mm-hmm. that you were looking at. Yeah. So you can't just go up and look at this gorgeous piece of like this gorgeous piece of artwork that's like completely made of tool mm-hmm. and just appreciate the shapes and the the volume mm-hmm. you're you're essentially like for most most people don't get this close to couture. No, no, ever. you are. And and in most costume institute shows, you don't get this close. I right. think I think the one that that you could get the closest to was the Charles James exhibit from right. many years ago, where they had the robotic arms, like you know, like showing you um, like different views of the dress while you were standing in front of it, mm-hmm. in front of a TV screen. But like this does not happen often. No. And I have to say, the the catalog is one of the most beautiful catalogs that they've ever published. It is essentially bound the way that Susan T- Sontag's essay was. Right. And it's in two volumes. So one, you have all the essays and Susan Sontag's essay. Mm-hmm. And then the other one, you have, you know, the beautiful, like Robert said, beautifully printed photos. So you can experience everyone. Literally like less than $50 on Amazon. Like, go home and then you can remember all of this. And and that's the thing is, as somebody who's been going to museums since before I can remember, somebody who's worked in museums for almost 20 years now, I've literally never seen museum etiquette break down this hard. Yeah. 
like being pushed out of the way so that the person could just go click and then walk away. Yeah. And it's like, I've never felt so defensive in an exhibition before. Yeah. There were several people who almost died that day. Yeah. Specifically, there was this one man that pushed past me to take a picture with his big, like, you know, telescopic lens fucking camera of a dress. And it's like, you could have taken that picture from the fucking parking lot. What are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Like, that guy almost died. Mm -hmm. And I made sure to make note of where he was and what he was near so that we were not standing in front of the same thing the rest of the time that I was. This is just in that one room with all of the the different color walls. Mm Um, I did break my rule. I took a photo of, um, it was a jewelry set that the necklace was a shower head and the earrings were, um, were knobs like bathtub knobs Mm -hmm. because I thought it was beautiful and I wasn't about to take a chance that there wasn't a photo of it. Mm -hmm. So I will be posting that photo on our Instagram for you to enjoy. Who was it by? Was it? I don't remember. I was going to ask you. I think it was Lagerfeld for Chloe. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Amazing. Because I remember when you said that, I was like, of course, Uncle Carl did. Mm-hmm. Of course he did. There were there were just so many. They had Bjork's swan dress. It was interesting that they had Bjork's swan dress, but then they had a dress from Givenchy from a few years earlier mm-hmm. that was the same thing. So obviously there was this kind of inspiration, you know, that the designer drew from making fun of this dress ah. by Givenchy from three years earlier. I, I mean, there were just so oh, many, you know, the, the, <laughs> the iconic, well, the dress that, most people who know was iconic before Cardi B wore it. The 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 Mugler Venus dress mm-hmm. was there. Um, Another dress that I was trying to enjoy, and it was just tourist after tourist after tourist yeah. trying to take a picture. Oh, Cardi B just wore that. It's mm-hmm. like go home. Yeah. Next next please kind of Dior counterpart. Yeah. You know, from like thirty years earlier, and just being able to like experience these pieces that are are just as valid as any other form of visual art really you know and that's the whole reason the costume institute was was founded by Diana Vreeland was to celebrate fashion as as an art form you know because it's quite a, a personal art form um Diana Vreeland is dead at this point yes. oh yes oh she's yes. rolling she yeah. is oh, rolling rotisserie spinning, chicken style in her grave at the behavior um because or, the you know. other part of it and and I came away from this with the the impression I got was wow the costume institute must be desperate for money like just starving because the guards were doing nothing about photography and well no they were doing nothing no, about no, no. photography was, there's a there's a reason for that there was a man who took a photo of something and then he stepped to the side to post it on Instagram and the guard walked over and he said hey can you actually stand over there because people are trying to look at mm-hmm. this piece that's behind you nothing about the fact that he took a photo nothing about the fact that he was trying to post it on Instagram mm-hmm. seconds after he took it just hey can you post your shit on Instagram over here instead well, of over here here's the thing the like I said last week, the Costume Institute doesn't get any money from what people pay to get in. I can tell. So, well, no, they, th- that exhibit probably cost in excess of a million dollars just to construct. Okay. Um, they get their money from the gala and from other donations. The thing okay. is that kind of um in in the past few years, as has happened in many nonprofits, is that there have been major budget cuts to the mat. And honestly, what gets cut first is security. 
So that's why there were so few. Hmm. And it's also the first show I've been to where there has been photography allowed. And it might be that it was just such a big show and they had so few guards that they chose not to impose this because then, you know, how are you going to have like the, the maybe one guard per gallery, which again, unheard of, right? Normally mm-hmm. it's two or three or four. Okay. How are they going to run after all these people? Mm. You know? So, so that's the other thing. As well. So that, that has nothing to do with the costume. But there too. was no signage because going they in. probably did decided not to because they knew they didn't have the resources to impose that rule. Because I remember... I've been on the other side of this. Well, fine. I just... I remember going to see Savage Beauty and it not being like that. No. I, I remember having a difficult time navigating the exhibit. But other than that, I was able to enjoy basically everything that they mm-hmm. had there. And I was actually able to, like, you know, feel the the energy of mm-hmm. um, of Alexander McQueen as I was like a- appreciating all of his work. Mm-hmm. That was not I could not enjoy this exhibit because everyone was trying to immortalize their stupid mm-hmm. exhibit, their their stupid experience with shitty cell phone pictures. Yeah, it's bad etiquette. It's I mean, horrible I, etiquette. and I again. I just, I get so offended by it because I feel like people are not taught how to visit with a museum. You know, they, they don't accord it the respect that it deserves. Or, like, you know, just let yourself be immersed in the experience. That's why the money is, like, you know, funneled, like, like basically poured into these exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Custom colors, custom letters, the whole damn signage at the beginning, which is backlit. Like, loans from around the world. Like they had Carmen Miranda's headdress brought from Brazil. Do these That's not easy. Do these designers and and other places where they're getting these things do they know about these budget cuts for the uh well, for the security? Cuz I'm sure that they would want to put in on well, that. Well, the the way it works is a loan agreement is presented and within that loan agreement are certain things like temperature control, you know, how many guards are going to be in the galleries, uh-huh. so on and so forth. And I know that the designers are a little more lax about things like that, uh-huh. especially when you're borrowing from fashion houses because like you know that Mugler dress was from nine, I think it was 1995 and they pulled it out for Cardi B to walk on the runway uh, right. on, on the red carpet well that one so was behind glass it was behind glass so. it was but you know there are s- certain designers who dictate what must be behind glass and what must not like the Jim Batista mm. vol- uh, volley gowns that you know the, the pleated voluminous tool ones those were all behind glass mm. you know on in in the room with the two floors right so everybody has their own um like restrictions that they put on on things when they lend them mm. to people so it, it's a bit of a hairy situation um and sometimes people might not lend that's true. you know if there aren't enough guards but again it is it is something that um you know, if if you set the piece back far enough, if you you know put an alarm along the perimeter of the of the display, which they did, because I could hear the alarms going off when somebody like stuck their hand, you know, past the the frame of the of the the little rooms, right? Um, but it's just bad. It's just bad etiquette. It really it really pissed me off. From as as like a like a, a a seasoned museum professional, it just really pissed me off because it's like, just spend time with this thing that you've come to see. Mm-hmm. Like, why is that so hard for people? Right. I didn't take my phone out once. 
Yeah. But I, I didn't care to get a photo. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I could have even photographed one of my favorite pieces in the show, which was this Moschino purse that was in the form of an iron, which made me happy on so many levels. But I didn't because I remember it. But mm-hmm. I remember it in my head. I don't need a photo of it. You know, right. it's like, I don't know. I, I and, and, and as beautiful as the show was, it just really um, kind of hurt my soul that people weren't taking time to see this because they'd rather, you know, want a like on Instagram or, you know, text a photo or, I don't know, take a photo of, of, of the jumpsuit that had a penis embroidered on it and be like, you know, yeah, stop doing that. Yeah. It's rude. It ruins the experience for other people. And you're not getting the experience that you paid for. Yeah. Or that you were intended to have. Right. You know? I will say, because we, we went to another exhibit after that, and there was just as much picture taking, ob- obnoxious picture taking. Like, literally, there were several times where we were pushed out of the mm-hmm. way so that someone could take a photo. I just don't, I, I don't understand why you would put an exhibit in a museum for people to come and take a picture of it. Just put it out on the street so that people can walk up and take their photos. Mm-hmm. Like, this is dumb. This is so dumb. Why hide it in this this, like super old rickety ass building if you if it's just for people to come and take pictures for the gram just put the shit on the street just put the shit out on the street on a fucking on 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 a towel and let people come up and take pictures of prince's guitar or whatever the like lady gaga's piano who gives a shit it's just i I was so mad i was just so mad because i couldn't even like i couldn't look at things and be like holy shit that's really cool like look at you know look at this kooky looking dress that uh i forget who it was made out of uh a bunch of garlands oh yeah that was a great piece you know like i couldn't appreciate that and on top of that somebody walked by and was like i don't know about this this looks like a bunch of christmas tree ornaments See, and that's together. Just it. and it's like that's what it is stupid that's what it yeah. is camp has nothing to do with taste Ugh. it's artifice it celebrates artifice but that's to cool. have to have someone with no taste compa- like commenting on taste it's just anyway double maison negative margella by the way maison margella yes, thank you made that dress um the other thing um the other thing that made me think that the the costume institute is a little desperate is this whole uh fashion line that they've released these like <laughs> kooky uh like cardboard earrings that they have for sale right outside the exhibit and these t-shirts that say camp by Mark Jacobs. Like mm-hmm. what's happening here? That's typical though. That's, that's literally across the board. But where's Disney in any, that's what this feels what? like. Where's Disney hiding? Where's Disney's frozen head? That's what I was waiting oh for. God. I was like, what are we doing here? Can I, can I ride, can I walk into the, the, the haunted mansion styled by Nicolette Gasquillera, whatever the, f- like, I'm tired of this shit. Like, I want to, if I'm going to go see a costume institute exhibit, and I'm, the reason I'm so mad about it is because since we've met, I've seen what, like five, maybe five costume institute exhibits. Mm-hmm. It's never been this bad. It's no, it never, never has. Well, that's The what punk I'm exhibit was never, it was never uh, like this. The punk exhibit was real, like, it was so easy to get through. People were like really absorbed in it and it wasn't any less dramatic. In fact, I think it was more dramatic. Like it had a, a fucking like rotating runway. Exactly. You know, with like a can-can dress. Yeah. You know, the, the, those walls that were like cast garbage, 
nobody messed with that. But it, I and I, I really do think that there's been a turn in 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 museum goers and how people consume these things really within the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. It's it's just. You know, museum museum visitorship is down in general across the world. Um, so put a fun boa on all of the statues that you, you know, have in the rest of the building. But, but at know. the same time, it's that it's um I don't know. It's just pe- people don't know how to act in public. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it it's it's just very bad. And and it's funny because today we were we were talking about this with uh, Vicky and Ari on Facebook, mm-hmm. and Vicky. Uh, Vicky Villanus was like of the shade parade of the shade parade. Thank you. Was like, well, that's why I'm waiting until like June or July to go see it. And she was so right. If we honestly, if we had not said we were going to do this podcast on about the show, I probably would have been like, let's wait because by then enough people have come to see it and kind of, you know, do the, isn't that weird type of thing Mm -hmm. that then, you know, it's like going to see a movie a week or two after it's come out so that the, mm. the theater's not packed, you know? Um, yeah. I just assumed that it was going to be a more civilized situation because we went, we saw the Alexander McQueen show f- like three or four times. Yeah. And each time it was like, you know, it was a, it was a different energy mm-hmm. in the crowd, but we were able to get through it. Yeah, absolutely. And enjoy all of it. And yeah. it, I mean, that was also like at least what? four or five years ago or at yeah, least six or seven is like when we first met yeah so it's it's um i mean our our our, our critique of of camp notes and fashion has turned, turned into a, a critique of the of the people who visited it but the thing is like that's but that's you know, part of it like like any public space those around you will impact the experience that you're having in mm-hmm. whatever that space is exactly and i i do suggest go and see this show go and see it more than once spend time and read the labels and and read you know even like you know the texts by by Oscar Wilde and you get to find out you know the origins of of that phrase you know the 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 love that uh oh love uh, that dare not speak its name exactly yeah. and yeah. i mean it was it was a really beautiful show i just wish that we had not been like you know like felt like we were in the midst of the running of the bulls mm-hmm. in Pamplona. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very accurate. And, um, and as far as the merchandising goes, I mean, that's, that's just typical at this point, you know, museums are struggling to make money in general. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'll always have those people who, you know, want to, want a thing, you know, the catalog that they're never going to open mm-hmm. and that will sit on their table. Um, and, but to be selling know. clip-on earrings that are made of cardboard for probably like $25 a pair. Oh, no, no. $120 oh, a pair. Oh, see? See what I mean? Well. See what I mean? Know. But see, but that's camp. See, even in that, it's camp. Because somebody's going to buy them. And they had a ring to go with it, by the way. I will make you a jewelry set out of cardboard for $25. And that's camp. And I'll make it look like uh, gemstones. Mm-hmm. Your birthstone, if you'd like. Oh, a pair of cardboard ruby earrings? Yes, please. Why not? But you see, in that in and of itself, it's camp. And then profiting off of camp is camp. Because it's like it, it's like getting people to buy garbage. So camp is a pyramid scheme. Camp is artifice. Camp is a pyramid scheme. Fine. But it's just... It camp, is... camp is Amway, right? Wasn't that what it was called? No, let's not go that far. <laughs> Don't give Amway that much credit. It's just, I I, I think it, it's absurd. It's funny. Um... It was cool, but don't go there looking. First of all, don't go there looking to have a good time. <laughs> Not until I June and July, right? 
Um, don't go there looking for representation of people of color because that did not exist. There was only one. There was only one. And also, plot twist, don't go there looking for looking or expecting to see old couture pieces because probably oh, the other thing. it was like 50% of the so, stuff in that room was was from like last season or no. next season. Current. That's what pisses me off. So what I for well not fifty percent, maybe like twenty percent. What I again, I pay very close attention to the Costume Institute shows, even mm-hmm. if I don't go and visit them. Mm-hmm. Now, um And this was my point point three for the desperation of the yeah. Costume Institute. The well, you know, but that but that's just it though. It is anyway, I don't know. But the uh, So basically okay, Heavenly Bodies, because yes. I saw the catalog, did not have that many pieces that were current, you know, like that were of the year that the show came out or just before. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I feel like not everyone's going to okay, understand so that. So, for point. example, if you have something that's spring, summer 2019, right? That means that it was presented during September 2018 Fashion Week because fashion collections are presented six months before the season that they are. Um, intended for so okay. that they can interest buyers, they can interest uh, you know other clients, and also to give time for these things to either be mass produced or in cases of couture to have them you know either either the runway version or another another version of it mm-hmm. made for whoever can afford it. So in short, there were pieces, there were pieces that, that essentially were, were designed with this with show, show in, in mind. mind. Which and 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 now, which I feel uh, and, is cheating, and and it is it, it can be a bit incestuous, and what that's what bothered me when the Costume Institute had Anna Wintour's name put on it because over the past however many years that she's been involved with it, she's raised quite a bit of money for the Costume Institute, and truly to her credit has essentially you know become a lifeline to keep the costume institute going and to mm-hmm. keep diana vreeland's legacy although her name's not on it so um so that was seen by a lot of people in our community and like the museum community as a a rather tacky move because it brought this level of com- like you know commercialism was there but it mm-hmm. wasn't as present as it is now right. and i think that that's the issue with this show mm-hmm. in particular and so that that is the part of it that I'm like I take yeah. away from and, it that and, they're desperate. And the thing about you know people may see the Devil Wears Prada and think a lot of it is like phony and, and no that whole thing where you know the 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 head magazine the, the editors of of the top fashion mu- uh, magazines actually influence designers is very true because they want to put things in their magazines that their readers are going to love that their readers are then going to want to buy the trickle downs and blah 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 right. you know right all of that nonsense you've heard the speech it's it's true which basically means that at h&m and forever 21 and fashion nova and asos you're gonna see copies of probably at least half of the show exactly and so there were pieces in the show that you know were like spring 2019 and i'm like but that Come on, like too much of a coincidence because, the, you know, the, these shows are announced almost a year in advance. Right. And I would not be surprised if at some point during the summer or close to the fall before September Fashion Week rolls around, mm-hmm. the theme of the next Costume Institute show is announced. Because right now they've already decided upon it. We don't know what it is. Right. But they already... But the designers know. But the designers know. Exactly. Right. And so that's where things that were... Of, of like now, I didn't pay attention to. Right. 
Um, whereas, you know, like design houses like Moschino, which like the show might as well just be, Mos- you know, Moschino <laughs> presents camp. Very heavy on the Moschino. But what was great is that <laughs> there was maybe one or two pieces that were current because Moschino has been doing this since the very beginning right. when the fashion house was founded. And right. they have pieces from every head designer of Moschino from the originator of the brand represented in the show. And I really enjoyed that because you can trace the origins of this camp nature of this house to the very beginning. Right. So that's something to look out for if if you can go see the show, when you go see the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but really appreciate those things that were created 60 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, those things that were really... Um, being designed with this tongue-in-cheek, you know, sensibility. Not so that they could, you know, get Anna Wintour's attention so then she could then bring it to the attention of the Met who would just be like, you know, like any museum is like, oh, oh, that fits. Like, great. But designers should not be creating things hoping that they're going to be included into a a show. And And that is my, you know, my lone hypothesis my conspiracy theory but it's just so clear right because they're all derivative of other things right so anyway that was my that was my big thing is that because before you walk into the big room where like there's no glass between you and the pieces you see this the the birth of venus dress Mm -hmm. that that mugler uh that mugler designed and mugler designed it long before the camp show was announced and not like Mm -hmm. so he wasn't thinking oh let me create something that is evocative of this painting and and have it be structured so that it looks that way when you're standing on a red carpet and he wasn't thinking about all that he was just thinking about let me create something that then is put on someone's body and looks like the painting he wasn't trying to be he wasn't doing a homework assignment Mm -hmm. which is what a lot of these other things ended up feeling like once you find out that they're from you know this season last season you know like it, they're it just, brand new exactly they're brand new and it's like they don't in my opinion they don't really have a place in in history and yeah. that's what i thought i was going to see was mm-hmm. things that have a place in like history this pair of spring summer 2019 dresses called harry and winston right it's like they're they're literally never been worn, jewelry probably. they're they're jewelry caddies yeah that were turned into dresses yeah like that is the to me that is the definition of oh i have to do a, you know a, a homework assignment about mm-hmm. camp let me make a dress out yeah. of a fucking oh wow caddy. i need a last minute drag mix let me do something that's already been done exactly let me record another queen's mix mm-hmm. uh, off the speaker yeah um well anyway that was our experience <laughs> great show go see it <laughs> Um, truly though, it, 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 it deserves to be seen. Give, you know, go for the fashions, give them at the numbers so that they can hopefully be smarter next time and do a show that centers the entire spectrum of queerness. Fuck the mat. (laughs) Ooh, hashtag fuck the mat. (laughs) No, don't fuck the mat. Um, well, that was our experience. Let us know what you thought. (laughs) Uh, and, um, we'll be right back.
Today's show is brought to you by Casper.com. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. And they're revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. Casper gives you an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Latex and memory foam come together for a life well slept. Try sleeping on a Casper for 100 days with free shipping and painless returns. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting caspertrial.com slash kiki and using promo code 50sleep. That's promo code 50sleep. Terms and conditions apply. We're back. And let's start. Let's start with the Drag Race review. Oh, can we? Yeah. Shall I? Shall I Please start? start your timer. Okay. Wait, are we doing one minute or two minutes this week? What do we well, say? What would you like? To, do you have enough stuff for two minutes? I don't. I, I, um, I don't know. Let's see. Let's do, let's do two minutes. Cause I mean, I only really want to talk about one person. Let's be luxurious. Um, okay. We're going to give two minutes. Let's, let's do it. Let's right? do it. Go ahead. Okay. Start it Ready. So Silky was basically given a Hail Mary pass and I had to look this one up. Because I don't know football references. <laughs> but anyway, it is a last-ditch effort, people, to patch things up with the girls before the top four were chosen. I am convinced that they were like, Silky, go and be your silkiest ganache self and make friends. And I think I think it was real, but it just seemed like it was, you know, like that Game of Thrones finale, like trying to like wrap everything up really mm-hmm. quickly and put a nice little dragon-shaped bow on it. Mm-hmm. That's what I think what was going on. I hope that she follows through. Um she doesn't. I can tell you that already. Well, Vanji, I, I just like <laughs> the, like it, it's like they tell you no bodysuits and then you decide to wear like a cheap oversized version of Scarlett O'Hara's green dress. Mm. Like, uh, pfft, caca. Like, it, it was very disappointing. It was a weird version of the dress she wears for the promo of season 11, if you remember back to that. Isn't it like a high? It's like cut out in the That front. one was high cut, but I'm talking about the the um, the the neckline. Not the neckline, oh, 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 the bust that, line yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's similar. I, I just, yeah. like, I just feel like Van- it just, Vanjie ran out of steam and it made me really sad. She ran out of steam the whole season. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. What else you got? Um, And then Evangeline Rebecca Oddly gave us everything we didn't know we needed. And that included three breasts, three eyes, and three butt cheeks. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever screamed so many times during a season of Drag Race in a good way. Mm-hmm. Maybe since season six. And her performance was also and, amazing. And her performance was just that, like, uh, back, okay, consolidate. Back then, Moonwalk was everything I needed. Yes. So, yeah. hashtag Team Evie. Yes. There you there go. There we go. Um, so, uh, next up, should we do I'm So Excited first or should we? Yeah. Okay. So, it's time for I'm So Excited. I'm so excited. This week, I have not one, but two for you. Do you have an I'm so excited? I'm not excited about anything. Yikes. Um, <laughs> so the first one is not so much, it's not like a new thing, but I just wanted to send some love to James Mansfield because his YouTube channel brings us endless oh, amounts does, of joy. 
Um, he does all kinds of things from styling a wig that he bought at a thrift store to doing uh, like drugstore makeup challenges. Mm. Um, you know, he, he, he is joy. He is like endless joy. Mm-hmm. Check out his YouTube channel. I know that he has like two or three other offshoots of the YouTube channel. Yeah. So, you know, support him, love on mm-hmm. him. He's great. We, we hope to one day have him on our show yeah. because I think we would have a really good time. And shout out to like, and actually it's funny now that, cause I was very excited about, I was very excited about that last video where he goes to pick and save. Yes. Girl, her eyebrows have literally never looked better. Mm-hmm. The, like, amazing. Mm-hmm. A great crease. She did wonders. Yeah, she's James, great. James is just we just We've enjoyed joy. it because we've been following James since before he was on Drag Race. Mm-hmm. All of his tutorials are incredible. I've mm-hmm. said this before. If you're a baby queen or just somebody who just wants to, you know, play around... James has great hairstyling tutorials. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I would go somewhere else for makeup tutorials, but his stuff isn't bad. But the hair, the hair is mm-hmm. a revelation. I remember when I found, I remember the day I found his YouTube channel, I was looking for, I forget what kind of styling thing. And I was like, where has this YouTube channel been hiding? Like, mm-hmm. where has it been? So she's great. Go check out James Mansfield and give him some love. My other, I'm so excited is a brand new podcast uh, I'm sure some of you will know Asante from the Friend Zone has now created his own podcast called If I Were a Rapper. Um, as of today, there are two episodes out. Uh, the first one is with, um, I think Alex is his manager, uh, but Alex is also, she she is the tour manager for The Read and a lot of uh, the other shows that are also on Loudspeakers Network, like uh, the Friend Zone and... Um, I'm forgetting everybody else's name, but fuck. Um, all of the other shows that are like where, you know, the read is friends with like a bunch of other people and now they have podcasts. Like it's sort of like within that friend group, mm-hmm. there are other podcasts. So it's an amazing episode because I did not know that Alex had been working uh, with hip hop artists before she was managing Crystal and Kid Fury. And um, it's just very interesting. And then the second episode is with Kid Fury and Dustin from the friend zone. And they just really get into it. And, you know, Kid Fury does an impromptu, like he um, he raps Hustlin' by Trina front to back, which is one of my favorite Trina songs. So it was just stellar. Stellar to know that his favorite, well, one of his favorite Trina songs is also one of my favorite Trina songs. So it was fun. It was a good time. And of course, if you listen to the friend zone, you know that Dustin loves to joke around and stuff. And so he brought all of that with him. And it's just it's fun. It's a really fun show. And I'm happy that uh, Asante, who is really he's he's he has a really great perspective when it comes to music and has, I guess, sort of helped shape a lot of the music that I listen to today. Um, I'm happy that he is sharing that and highlighting these new artists on his own show. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you want to introduce what we're going to do? Yes. So this is a a lot. This is breaking news. Where's Geraldo? No, he's a Republican. No, no, we don't want him. No, 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 that's just it. Nobody else. But just shame shame that's mm-hmm. what we should call this ring segment. the shame bell just shame on um on neverland management elite queens actually management is a 
you know, we won't sully that word. I think they're a party of one at this point. Yeah. Um, Neverland. So talking about Anthony of Neverland. Anthony of Neverland Management. Um, I was going to say, we're going to strip them of their princess points. No management for them. Um, has been accused, and I think it's been proven, uh, via receipts uh, from Shea Coulee and the Vixen of doing a number of underhanded things, uh, withholding payments from them, withholding health insurance. Th- like that one like is canceling the Vixen's health insurance without her knowing. Disgusting. Shame on you. Shame on you for taking advantage of people who have put their trust in you for seven plus years from when you were a nobody in Chicago. Okay. From when Neverland was just a circuit party. Yeah. Okay. Cause that's where a lot of these girls got their starts. It's and, and then they put their trust in them instead of looking outside, uh, you know, after drag race for other management, they went with the people that had supported them up until then. And what did he do? He went around and stole money from them, withheld money. Like I said, canceled their health insurance. Um, you know, is holding merch ransom. How could, how could you do that? To it's, somebody else. It's disgusting. And it just, it, it's an extension of a lot of the stuff that we see locally happen mm-hmm. here with promoters and queens that have yeah. not been on the show, like have not been on Drag Race yet. Exactly. Um, it's, it's an extension of what happens to them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's terrible because I know that girls like Shay, Kimchi, Pearl, mm-hmm. they all got their start turning looks at these Neverland parties and these Neverland parties were well known for being these huge extravaganzas, but Mm -hmm. you know, and having now they're in the toilet been at LA drag con last year, ourselves in person, seeing people that's right. Like Miss Cracker, like, like dusty Ray bottoms, whose, whose boyfriend Mark was, or fiance Mark rather was painting dots on fucking cardboard because the people that they paid thousands of dollars didn't show up is disgusting. Yeah. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Yep. You know, so do not buy merch from elite Queens. And if you're buying merch from a girl who is, uh, who is, uh, what is that word? A former, a, a former uh, uh, Neverland. If you're buying queen. merch from a girl who has her merch through Elite Queens, I would suggest you find another route mm-hmm. to send her the money for that merch yes. because odds are that money's not going in her mm-hmm. pocket. So yeah. go go to go to one of the shows. Be like, girl, you got merch? Venmo her. Do not buy it through their website. Yeah, because they probably won't see that money. Yeah, and I know that some people will say because I've seen this said before when girls have talked about booking fees and things like that not being given to them. You know, Shea Coulee is now out twelve, maybe more. You know, twelve thousand, maybe more. Yeah, like people who think that that the that the girls who've been on Drag Race have millions and hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's just not true. They are they are struggling in, in you know in, in a different way. Like yes, there's more money, mm-hmm. but ten thousand dollars is still ten thousand dollars. There's more money, but there are also there's also a bigger staff. Exactly. And more expensive so, and costumes get more yeah. expensive. So, you know, honestly, they're not operating with that much more of a profit. It just looks fancier. Right. And so, you know, don't you know, because I've already seen it. Don't go on and, and, and shame them for putting people on blast or withholding money, because you know what? I've seen random people on Facebook and all the social medias come for people who owe them a hundred dollars. Yeah. So just don't don't patronize these these management companies and websites that are not uh, doing right by uh, people in the queer community who are entertaining us and making our lives better on exactly. a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're they're these people are fucking. I mean, the 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 stuff that the vixen just posted. It's like, I I've seen I've seen people lose their just their domains for their websites, for example, mm-hmm. and then have to pay thousands of dollars to someone who's essentially holding it ransom mm-hmm. because some idiot didn't pay the bill yeah. when the, the the domain was up for registration or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. So shame on them. Do not support them. And yeah. It it just it makes my blood boil. Yeah. It's not right. It's fucking gross. Mm-hmm. And it should not this is not how it should be. Yeah. Given that there are other options for management and it's clear that I mean Shay mentions it in her Instagram story. She was working with Neverland because they had an eight year long working relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's like you think you can trust these people, but they see dollar signs mm-hmm. and nothing else. Yeah. So um well mm. that brings us to the end of our episode. We are Grizzly Kiki on everything that means Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so be sure to follow us there. You can send your questions to grizzlykiki at gmail.com, and maybe we'll read yours on the air. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. So until next time, bye! bye.